Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Nehemiah, Old Testament prophet that we've been looking at. Nehemiah, we're going to begin with the last part of verse 9, of chapter 9 this morning, and then move into chapter 10. You know, sometimes it's tough in life to get a perspective. It's easy to lose our focus. And sometimes things just seem to be out of kilter and we cannot sharpen them. We cannot bring them to clarity. We cannot bring them to the place that we really can identify the stuff going on around us. Focus. Perspective. is a very difficult thing in the day and age in which we live. Now, Nehemiah had some real focus because they rebuilt the walls in 52 days. And you know the account because we have studied it and how God used his people to come in and provide for Jerusalem that which was necessary so that they could be encouraged, so they could protect themselves from those who were around them, and so that the testimony of God would be lifted up. 52 days. Think of that. But Nehemiah is more interested in building the lives of people. Understanding that it's people's lives who are going to continue this legacy. And it's the lifetime of service that's going to go beyond the walls. I'm kind of a list kind of guy. I write things down and I check them off. And it's easy for me to check off the things that I can accomplish in a rather short period of time. I like doing electrical work at my house. Because I can put it together and I can make sure it works. And in a relatively short period of time, I can go, I put in three outlets yesterday. Now, you guys don't seem to be too impressed. Just so you know, I did it with the electricity on. Oh, I didn't say it was the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I like to, I like to check these things off. But then I get these long-term projects, right? The projects that are going to take days and weeks and months and years. And <laughs> but frankly, it's the long-term projects that are going to last. Nehemiah got the short-term project done. The wall was built. But now he's concerned about rebuilding the people to a lifetime of service so that they can have a clear, sharp perspective, focus on what God wants them to do. Now, last week we started a message that helped us understand something about focus. And we began by talking about the faithfulness of God. And as we read Nehemiah chapter 9, we identified God's work in the lives of his people. Did you have a good time this past week identifying your thankfulness for what God has done in your life? Did you take time to look at how God has brought you to this place and how everything that you've had need of has been provided for you? That's God's faithfulness. 
And I am thankful for the faithfulness of God in my life. And I know that that faithfulness that has been there is there and will be there. But our focus must go beyond the faithfulness of God. We must go to obedience. Obedience to the word. Okay, God's faithful. What does he have me to do? What, what does that mean to me? How does God want me to respond? And in chapter 9, there are two illustrations of how disobedience got the people in trouble. The first one's the golden calf. We talked about that last week. The other one is how they kicked out the prophets and didn't listen to them, and that got the people in trouble. And so what did the people have to do? They had to confess their sins. And we talked about that last week. Scripture tells us in Proverbs chapter 28, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. Confession is so necessary if we are to keep our focus on what God has for us. But there's another C that is very necessary, and it's identified at the end of chapter 9. Look down there, will you please? Verse 38. Because of all this, all the stuff that's taken place, the faithfulness of God, our obedience to his word, our confessions, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. If we are going to have a sharp focus, we must make sure that our covenant with God is sure and secure. Now, a covenant is different than a promise. A covenant is a binding agreement. There's no way to get out of it. A covenant is that which reminds us of a legal contract or a lasting obligation A covenant is just not, I hope to fulfill this. If I can, I will get this done. A covenant is a firm obligation, agreement, contract that holds us responsible before a holy God. Now here they have a covenant that's in writing. It says that it's sealed and that it's a firm covenant. Now, as you study Scripture, you discover that covenants were guaranteed in different ways. One of the ways that covenants were guaranteed was by slain animals. Ray Vanderland, in his series that the world may know, talks about Abraham's covenant with God in Genesis chapter 12. And he talks about God taking animals, slaying them, parting them, laying them aside, And Abraham and God walking through the middle of those slain animals. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Blood was spilt. Sacrifice was made. An offering to God was given. And then God and Abraham walked through the middle of this and said, Hey, this is serious stuff. I'm going to bless you. I am going to give to you what is necessary for your life. I'm going to meet your needs. And together we are going to see the fulfillment of this covenant. We look at animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. 
And sometimes I think we don't understand the seriousness of those sacrifices. Do you remember the blood covenant that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ? John identified Christ as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. What did they do to lambs when they offered them in sacrifice for sin? They killed them. Jesus, the last night, he met with his disciples. 1 Corinthians 11 identifies it the night in which he was betrayed. And he took the bread and said, this is my body. cups in the Seder service, in the Passover meal, the cup after in my what? Blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Covenant is serious stuff. There was another way that covenants were identified. A lot of times at weddings, you will see the couple take time to interact with each other. And they do what is called the salt covenant. Now, salt covenant is identified two different times in Scripture. It's also identified in the New Testament in Mark's Gospel. And what the couple usually does is they have two containers of salt. Usually they're different colors. You know, a guy and a gal thing. Pink and blue. That's not the way they did it in the Old Testament. Salt was only one color. And what the parties would do in order to make a covenant with each other, and you know all this, they would take the two containers and they would mix them together Whoops, they didn't spill them either. As a binding, lasting agreement. Now, why is that binding and lasting? You can't ever separate it. Now, in the wedding ceremony with the two colors, you perhaps could separate it. But I'm telling you what, you can't separate this. You don't know which is and which ain't. And that sealed the agreement and was a lasting agreement that was given to the parties because it could never be separated, it could never be broken, it could never be undone. There was a third way that covenants were identified, guaranteed, if you will, and that's the identification we have here in Nehemiah 9.38. It's a sealed covenant. The parties would take the agreements and they would fold them and they would put a stamp, a seal, that could only be opened by one who had the authority to open the seal. Now, we do this today, don't we? A lot of the important documents that we have today have seals on them. Right? Wedding licenses have seals on them. Other documents that they get that you have may be um, identified as a notary from a notary. And what do they do? They affix a seal, right? 
And that seal isn't pretty like this, but it's an indentation to the paper that you can never get out and identify any other way but the indentation that was there. Now, the whole point of this is covenants are important things. And whether it's burnt offerings, slain animals, whether it's salt, whether it's seals, it's an important deal. The people here offered a covenant to God. I am so thankful that God has given to us a covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? I am thankful that he gives unto us eternal life and we will never perish. And Jesus said in John's gospel, neither will any man pluck you out of my hand. My father which gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Aren't you thankful for that covenant? that we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's sealed, it's serious, but it's secure. Now the question is, have you ever made a covenant with God? You ever make a promise to God? You ever come to God and say, okay, God, here it is. Not much, but I give it to you. And it's yours forever. The people, in looking at the faithfulness of God, the obedience to his word, the confession of their sins, come together and say, all right, we're going to seal the deal. This is serious. And we are going to make sure that there is a firm covenantal commitment that we are going to keep with our God. And so, because of all this, verse 38, we make a firm covenant in writing on, a, on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now, if you look into chapter 10, you find the names of those that were on the documents. You discover pretty quickly that those names were not insignificant. But that the names that are there are there because each one identified with the commitment that God was, that with the commitment they were making to God. In verses 2 through 9, you have their the leadership, Nehemiah the governor. You have the priests and you have 21 names. In verses 10 through 13, you have the Levites and you have 14 additional names. In verses 14 through 28, you have the chiefs and the people and another 44 names. In verse 29, it says the rest of the people. They all got involved. Why? Because they recognized that this covenant was for everybody. It just wasn't for leadership. It wasn't for those who were just involved in a special ministry. It wasn't for those who were just called to do something with the temple and the sacrifice. It was for everybody. And the call that God has on our lives is for everyone. And it is a call that is unconditional 
him needs to be unbroken. If you want to focus, make a covenant. Serious stuff. But more than just, I hope it's a promise that I can keep. It's a commitment to an eternal, holy, sovereign God. That's what the people did. Jump down to verse 29 of chapter 10, will you please? Nehemiah 10, 29. Joined with their brothers, their nobles, entered into a curse and an oath. To walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. If we're going to focus, we must understand who God is. Did you note what is identified in verse 29? God's law. His commandments. His rules, his statutes, and all of this is packaged in the Lord, our Lord. We won't take time, but you could go back to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, and you would discover very quickly that there the people confessed their sins and they worshiped God. They fell down before him and they acknowledged who he was. Here, Nehemiah identifies him as the Lord, the sovereign creator, God of the universe. That's Lord. But not only the sovereign creator, God of the universe, he is our Lord. The personalization of a relationship with a sovereign, holy God is a recognition of who God is and what he wants to do in our life. I am so thankful that God reached down to me. I am so thankful that I have a personal relationship with God. We had a great time at our Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. Connie must have posted a picture on Facebook. Because a number of you came up to me and said, boy, it looked like you're having a great time on Thursday. All of our family was there. And part of uh, Rachel, our daughter-in-law's family, was there. And, and we, ju- we just had a great time. The Lions even won. And we sat around that table and enjoyed each other's company. There wasn't any dysfunction, praise the Lord. There was plenty for everybody. Nobody argued over the last piece of turkey or the peanut butter balls that we call Buckeyes. No one dominated the conversation. You wondered how I was going to work that in today, didn't you? Nobody dominated the conversation. Nobody got in an argument. We just had, now why were we able to do that? Because we had a personal relationship with each other and we're starting to understand each other a little bit. Connie's going, kind of, maybe, sort of. Let me tell you something. Once you start to understand who God is, it makes all the difference in your life. Once you understand that he is not only the sovereign creator, God of the universe, but he is our Lord, it changes things. 
once you recognize that you can have a personal relationship with this Lord, this sovereign creator God of the universe, by believing on the name of his son who he sent to die for you and to give his life for you so that you could be born again in the family of God, once you understand that, it changes everything. And it changes everything for the better. Because there is nothing that will help us sharpen our focus more than understanding who God is and the fact that this God loved me and gave his son to die for me. And that makes me his child. He has chosen to adopt me into his family. Amen? Isn't that great? And yet, how many times do we live in a dysfunctional relationship with God? Because we fail to understand who our As they understood who God is, it started to change their lives. And what does that change look like? It looks like sacrifice. Sacrifice to God. Now the rest of chapter 10 talks about that sacrifice. Verse 30. Are you there? We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. If we're going to sacrifice, it's going to take some separation from some things unto a sovereign God. That's where sacrifice begins. It's not what I want. It's not what I'm comfortable with. It's not what I've always done. It's a recognition that I need to give to my God that which is holy to him. And here the people, Nehemiah said, hey, we're not going to do anything that's going to defame the name of our God. We're not going to give our daughters to, to those who are not of God, and we're not going to give our son, we're not going to let our sons take daughters. We're, we're going to separate ourselves because we are a holy people. We are a royal priest. Just think how you and I are identified. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I like what the King James says. It says a peculiar people. It's a people of his own, a specific people that God has touched. What difference does that make in your life? God has touched your life. He's touched my life. What difference does that make in your life? Sacrifice begins with a separation from some things and unto someone. And that is a holy God. First John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Separation is part of it. Not only is there separation, but there's an attention to the Sabbath. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 31. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every day. Debt. 
You remember the blue laws? You, you remember when stores were closed on Sundays? Now, I remember when Wednesday night was set apart for church stuff. There weren't school activities on Wednesday night. There weren't soccer games on Wednesday night. There wasn't practice on Wednesday. It was set aside for church because churches had Wednesday night service. And they had enough influence in the community that the community followed their standards. You know that's not true anymore today. Now, I wonder why. Maybe it's we've lost our influence in the community. But here the people of Nehemiah says, hey, we're going to give attention to the Sabbath. It's a special day. And if there's grain to be bought, we're not going to buy any. If there's activities to be done, we're not going to do any. We're going to set that apart for God. Now, was that not the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? Now, I am not saying that you and I need to leave this place and simply go home and get on our knees and bow our heads and with our Bibles. But I'm saying this. You and I need to have a commitment. To the worship of our God. And the time in his house. And the giving to him. A commitment that he deserves. Is that not what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, it is true that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen? May I challenge you not to let God's good gifts take you away from the assembling together as a body of believers and a corporate worship of Him? Say, well, what are you talking about? God gives us some time away, sometimes vacation. I'm so thankful God doesn't go on vacation, aren't you? But on vacation, do we take vacation from God? God has blessed us with a new house. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? Do we take God's day? To move into the new house that God has blessed us with because we don't have any other time? I mean, I'm going to stop right there. And you can sit there and go, Phew. he didn't say anything about what I do. Didn't mean to. But the reality is, we need to give attention to commitment to being together with God's people in God's place. Amen? We need to hurry. There was a commitment to the support of the temple. Verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel. Now, I want you to know that this is above the tithe. This is love offering stuff. The tithe will get covered later on. For the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, 
the regular grain offerings, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. There was a commitment to support the temple. It was just a year ago, a year ago next Sunday, that we had Celebration Sunday here at Calvary Baptist Church. Remember that? Oh, that was a great day. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness to provide love gifts above and beyond to be able to meet the needs that are part of what has been accomplished for the glory of God. Amen? Thank you. But that's part of this sacrifice thing, right? And during that whole process, that three-month process, we asked ourselves, what is sacrifice to me? And each of us had to answer that question. But it took a commitment to support this place, the house of, of God. They also had to replenish the wood. Are you still in Nehemiah 10? Verse 34, we the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at, appoint, at times appointed year by year and to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. What? The altar, the fire, the sacrifice didn't all of a sudden just appear and get taken care of. So, somebody had to provide that stuff. And so what did they say? Hey, we're going to do our part. There is so much that gets done here at Calvary Baptist Church that nobody knows about. There are people who are here every day of the week doing something. And I am so thankful for those folks. We have a work day. People show up. We share together. I was down with the children this morning in their Sunday school. And you know what encouraged me? The number of adults, teachers, helpers that were down there ministering to our kids. Thank you very, very much. That's part of providing the wood for the altar. Because that's building into the lives of these children truths from God's word. Amen? I'm thankful for our students and their ministry. I got to teach the junior hires last couple of weeks. I told you about it. I'm thankful for those leaders and sponsors who minister to them. I'm thankful for our nursery workers. Amen? I'm thankful for our children's church workers. Yeah? Thankful for our greeters and our ushers. Every one of them is providing wood, if you will, so that the sacrifice of praise can be given to our God. Now the question is, what part should you be doing and are you doing your part? They literally brought in sticks, logs, wood, so the altar could be rekindled. You and I need to be doing something. There was the imperative of first fruits. Verse 35 We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all fruits of every tree year by year, to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle, 
as it is written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks. And to bring the first of our dough, I think that has to do with Christmas cookies. I like Christmas cookies. I digress. Verse 37. And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes of all our towns where we labor. First fruits. Now, first fruits is made up of two words. Fruits, and the other word is first. When you think about first, what comes to your mind? First. Not second. Not third. Not that which is disposable. Not what I have left over. Not which I might find in a box someplace that I haven't seen for four years, huh, Connie? First fruits, right off the top. And if we are going to live in this covenantal relationship with God and sacrifice, it has to be off the top, folks. When we take an offering in the morning, I talk about his ties and our love gifts. The first belongs to him, not mine. God gives it all to me because he owns it all. And how I deal with it will depend upon whether it's a positive or negative investment. And one day I'm going to be held accountable. First fruits. And then in verse 38 it talks about the tithe, doesn't it? A full tithe. Now the tithe was first seen when Abraham offered a tithe to Melchizedek. Find that in Genesis 14. And as you look at the Mosaic law, you find out the tithe was not based upon the income that someone received. It was based on their entire estate. Their lands their animals, their crops, their income, everything to that. It was their entire estate. Now, you and I think about tithe as 10% from what we get from whoever employs us, right? That wasn't how Israel thought about it. It was the whole meal deal. And in verse 38, it talks about giving that tithe to the Levites. And the Levites would then bring the tithe, the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Why? So that they could minister and so they could share, so that they could get things done for the glory of God. That's what tithe's all about. It's doing things for the glory of God as we band together and share in each other's lives. Verse 39. For the people of Israel 
The sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, or the tithe, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Underline this last phrase in your Bibles. We will not neglect the house of our God. Why? Because it represents who God is. If you came in the center door this morning, you perhaps came across a format that identified our journey that we took a year ago. It says, it's God's house, welcome home. It's God's house. This is a place that we call God's house. Now, we are God's people, and the church is the people of God. Church is? The people of God are the church. But you know what? We ought to give the best we can to our God and not neglect him. I'm thankful for those who have been painting downstairs doing a great job. I'm thankful for those who are here and change light bulbs. Great job. Why? Because our investment is the house of our God. It's a testimony to those who are around us. Two more very quickly this morning. They had this covenantal relationship with God. We read about that over in verse 38 of chapter 9. It was more than a promise. It was more than just, hey, this is what we hope to do. This is what we want to do. It was secured, firm, sealed, delivered to God. Lastly, they had energy. Energy for the things of God, and that's what Nehemiah is all about. Right? That's what the rebuilding of the wall was. That's what the reading of the law was. That's what the interaction of the people signified. It's all energy for God. This is all for God. It's not for us. This was not so that Jerusalem would have a name. It was so the God who had taken the people to Jerusalem would be identified by all of those who were around them. This is not so Calvary Baptist Church can have a name. This is so that the God with whom we covenant will be glorified. Amen? So when you get out of focus... Bring it back, will you? Think about the faithfulness of God. Think about obedience to God. Think about confession and covenant. Understand who God is and recognize that we need to be sacrificing. And that's not an easy deal. Not an easy deal at all. To our God. Judy brought the lesson for the children this morning. And she passed out cookies. Two cookies. One she gave out of a bag that had abundant cookies in it. Judy, you still got that bag of cookies? I didn't get one. (laughs) 
And so she gave it to one of the youngsters who, the, the illustration was some give out of abundance, some give out of not much. So she gave it to one of the students, and it was so neat to see this student. She broke it in half and gave it away. The other cookie that Judy really wanted because she was really, really hungry. That's what you said. She gave to another student. And it was so neat to see him give it away. Nobody prompted those kids to do that. They just did it. Now, they did give it to siblings, and perhaps that was buying something from them. I don't know. But folks... What we have, we ought to give away to God. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to, to share together. And the privilege we've had to just look into your word today and to see truth and principles that we might have for our lives. Father, I just pray that you would help us to identify the wonderful blessings and benefits that we have because of who you are. And Father, we'll thank you for all that you're going to accomplish. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.